Hello and welcome to another episode of The Road Pod, MedTech Monday. Our guest today is Brian Wong, and he's one of the most interesting people that Danielle and I have had the chance to speak with. He has a great job. He'll tell you that time and time again. And after listening, I think you're going to agree. Now, this episode is a bit longer than normal, but I guarantee you it's worth listening to every second. And we'll get started right after a word from our sponsor, Zymedica. Have you ever seen a science fiction movie? Of course you have. I am one of those non-believers, and I don't particularly like them. Hi, I'm Eve Vogley, Senior HR Business Partner at Zymedica. And when I watch a science fiction movie, I think there's no way that could ever even possibly happen in this world. But every day, all over the world, things are never imagined become part of our everyday life. Science fiction one day, you blink, and it's in your life the next. At Diamedica, we're currently working on pioneering technologies that are so advanced that it seems like I'm playing a role in a real-life science fiction movie. Technologies that will be disruptive for both the medtech industry and Zymedica. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. You're listening to MedTech Monday, a podcast about medical technologies, trends in entrepreneurship and innovation. Um, I'm very excited about today's episode as I just returned from a short vacation where I totally unplugged, did not keep up to date with anything going on in the industry. And I must be very lucky because our guest today, Brian Wong, a senior MedTech analyst at Zymedica, um, whose job it is to stay up to date with the industry and trends. So I'll be able to, you know, kick right back into it. Um, Brian is kicking off a series of episodes that will be hosted right here on MedTech Monday and will feature experts and industry leaders from Zymedica, a leading, a leading medical product developer who is located right here in Providence, Rhode Island um, and globally. The new episodes of MedTech Monday will be published every other Monday, and the second episode of every month will feature those thought and industry leaders from the Zymedica network. Next month, you will hear from Lisa Carmel, the VP of Strategy at Zymedica, who will be joined by Paul LaViolette, Managing Partner of SV Health Investors, where we will talk about VC and startup funding. Um, our other episodes will cover, cover topics like academia to commercialization, human-centered industrial design, diagnostics in a post-COVID world, and much more. So enough from me and enough about our, pre, or our post episodes, um, and let's get into it. Brian, thank you for joining us. I think it's best to start if you want to tell us a bit about your background, um, what you do now, and your role at Zymedica. Yeah, thanks a lot, Danielle. So I graduated um, with material science degree in UIUC graduate school, um, where I worked on a lot of DNA modification, protein characterization, uh, biomaterials characterizing, and and the like for to use in sensors and kind of novel ways of probing at technology and probing biology. Um, after grad school, I actually did a stint at Intel R&D, where I was working on the seven nanometer node, uh, running you know developing processes at the very 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 edge of physics. Um, understanding what kind of quality system the, like you need to work with, let's say, three to four thousand engineers, three to four thousand PhD level engineers in in a very complex engineering environment. Uh, I worked on that for about three years, and then afterwards, I joined a startup in San Francisco where we were looking at uh, building graphene sensors for novel drug discovery platform. Um, so there I was a head of engineering and I led the sensor fabrication, sensor design, as well as the microfluidics. Uh, micro 
um, after my stint at a, at a startup, I really wanted to understand um, the investor mindset from the buy side, right? So as startups, we're kind of selling our startup, we're pitching our ideas, but very few people have gotten both sides where you get to pitch an idea, but also be on, sit on the other side of the table and listen to how startups pitch and kind of once you hear enough, what sets, what kind of sets off that light bulb in the investor mindset. Um, so I ended up joining a private equity fund that was based out of Hong Kong. And at the time, uh, this was 2017, 20, 20, 2018. And the Hong Kong stock market was actually uh, opening up to pre-revenue biotechs for the first time. So before this, really the only place for pre-revenue biotechs was the NASDAQ. And so the, the fund that I worked for had access to these uh, start has had access to these IPOs, and but they didn't really have the capacity to really understand uh, to understand the business model, understand the, the future value of these of these companies. So over the course of a year, they taught me kind of what the investor mindset is, how do you look at future revenue, how do you look at market size and opportunities, and I kind of built out their life science portfolio. Um, after that, I was looking for a, a role that brought me closer back to product and kind of making a bigger impact on, on the overall healthcare system. And Zymedica was looking for an individual that had both the startup uh, experience, had good engineering science background, but also brought that investor kind of valuation mindset uh, to the table. So that's how I ended up here. In our pre-show conversation, um, you described your role at Zymedica as you had the best job in the company. What exactly is that role and why is it the best job in the company? Yeah, I, I, I do really believe that, but don't uh, don't tell my boss. I think he, uh, <laughs> yeah. But my I have a very unique role in the company. So half the company is really, uh, you know, we're the, we're the engineers and the developer and the researchers of the, of the company. And half the other half of the company is really the business development, right? So half the company looks inward and half the company looks outward. Um, I really see myself as that bridge. So by understanding our clients, as well as much as we can possibly understand them, understand the business cycle, understand where they are in the competitive landscape and the technology landscape, and also understand deeply what the capabilities of Xemetica are and how flexible we are internally, I can really match up, align the, help align resources and help define projects so that they're the right project to generate, to generate the maximum amount of value for our clients. So I really think about it as kind of bridging the trust gap that sometimes a client with any service provider has because the client by nature wants to spend the least amount of resource and get the maximum gain. Whereas a service contractor, you know, our business model in general is to, you know, charge us for our work that we think we're worth. So the only way you can align those is having someone that is on the client side that helps drive the internal process to right size the internal process so that whether you're a massive $50 billion conglomerate with thousands and thousands of products and you're trying to make a line extension or you're a startup with one product that you need to be best in class, show unique differentiating features, 
those are all by understanding where you are, we can appropriately design a project for our client. So it's great. I, I get to I get to meet a lot of interesting companies. I get to review and look at a lot of interesting technology, and I get to put the valuation and the market side on top of that. So put that lens so that okay, is it interesting, and is it valuable, right? And then if it's valuable, how valuable is it? How much money should you? How much resources should you put behind this technology to get it to market, such that you can maximize your return? So I, that really touches kind of all of my passions, which is technology and finance and and kind of investing. So uh, I, I really do believe I have the best job. But again, don't don't tell my boss. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 your background in the private equity space when you were looking at things in Hong Kong really prepared you for this without an MBA. Yes, um, I, I think I had a this. This was very much a crash course, kind of like the the MBA for dummies type. Um, but it was very focused, very specific for you know equity analysis, right. uh, market landscape, really developing that conviction that if you're going to write a ten million dollar check, um, that you can still go to sleep that night. That you believe you believe that you believe your research and you believe your work that supports this investment. And it's really the same way any 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 company, medtech or not, when you decide to go down a product development path, you have to have that conviction that in five years when that product comes out, it will do what you think it's going to do or exceed what you think it's going to do. So it's almost like when you are working with an external partner, an external client, you are looking at it from the standpoint of almost like an investor. And and and, that, and that's probably a pretty interesting way to look at things, as opposed to just sort of ramping up the the you know the sale and let's p pile on more. But you're looking at it from how can we maximize the value we're bringing to the table, and what's the client? What's going to be the maximum benefit for the client? Which I think a lot of service providers don't look at. It's like hurry up and bill hours. Well, it's very difficult, right? It's it's very complex. There's a lot of moving components, and if you're not used to thinking that way, mm -hmm. it's. It's, it's very hard to draw a conclusion that's in the future, right? You're, you're making a prediction. You're really, you are making a prediction. Yeah, it's, it's a different way of thought. And again, I, I think I'm, I'm very lucky that Zymedica has this vision of what, how we can best, how can, how we can be our best partners uh, for our clients and not just be uh, kind of, hey, we want this widget built. And, and just kind of, yeah, move that conversation to a higher level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's also ha helping Zymedica, helping the clients, you know, deliver the best product to the market at the right time, starting from the front front end of will this work? And by the time we get it to market, will the market accept it? You know, what through your work, what right now have you seen as the primary focuses in shaping, you know, the healthcare industry and space today? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge question, right? I think um, just given if, if we start kind of with the most recent and move backwards, it's, it's hard to talk about healthcare without talking about the impacts of COVID-19. And, you know, there's a saying that it takes decades sometimes to move something weeks and sometimes it takes weeks to move something a, a decade's worth of development. And COVID-19 really has been um, that aha moment people have said or for, for healthcare. And, we, you know, for, for years, if not decades, we've, we've been pushing uh, telemedicine, telehealth, remote monitoring, wearables as, as 
interesting solution to a problem that maybe wasn't well defined. Uh, COVID-19 really solidified the, the benefits and the necessity of all of these technologies. Um, it's, it's just been incredible. I, I really believe that the next 10 years of medical device and healthcare technologies will be dramatically accelerated and dramatically different than the, what the past 10 years of medical device um, engineering and product development has been. Um, but if you look in the past, you know, if you look back a little further beyond COVID-19, uh, some of the some of the inflection points really has been around uh, robotic surgery, around closed loop uh, insulin delivery systems, and you know, it's, uh, neuro stem, like the neurovasculature uh, type devices have all been seen tremendous growth uh, for for the companies that operate in that space. And a lot of that you see over and over again is because it drives value, right? It's no longer just we're we're doing these processes, doing these. Uh, operations because we can, but it dramatically improves the quality of life or dramatically improves the data that can be pulled out of these surgeries and pulled out of these procedures um, that will enable future products, better and better and better future products to be built. So we're really laying the groundwork for for the future uh, with last decade of development. So it's really, really exciting. It's I, I really don't think there's ever been a better time to be in med tech and healthcare. And, you see some of that reflected in uh, in some of the public companies that's that's in the space, and they've they've just done they've they've done tremendously well, and they're having their their moment in the spotlight. And it'll be really interesting to see um, how these companies grow through the epidemic and then come out the other side and see what kind of companies they are. And I, I think also one thing interesting to mention is you know the the FDA through COVID nineteen has uh, issued a number of the emergency use authorizations. So we actually saw a lot of new companies that were not previously med tech companies enter into the space, especially when you talk about ventilators, right? Uh, you, we've seen, we've we've heard headlines from Tesla, GE, um, I think Foxconn. There's there's a number of hardware manufacturers that are now wading into a med tech space, these EUAs. And when the EUAs end and they have to transition whatever they built into a 510K approval. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who stays and what new interesting point of view these other companies can can bring into the marketplace uh so, so I, I, again i think just incredibly exciting i think the market is re reacting to um just a fundamentally new view on on met met tech i think one of the things you spoke about you added it's a little comment about data there and i think there's been no time in you know the history of our our computerization and our, our data integration of everything as we've, that we have actually collected so much data on a huge chunk of the population in real time. And I think that is uh, a burden on the industry to sort of sift through that. You know, we sort mm -hmm. of know what we're looking for right now, but as we go forward, you know, you're seeing a whole range of different symptoms are coming out, different, you know, people are reacting different ways. And it'll be interesting to see at the end of this, going back and combing through all this data, I think is going to be one of the key elements of figuring out how we react to the next pandemic. Yeah, for sure. I think um, the wearable space, uh, it's, you know, we've we've had wearables for, for better part of a decade. Um, this 
actually a very interesting survey that was just sponsored by I think Sony. Sony had like a has a wearable division, mm-hmm. and they sponsored a two thousand person survey. And the main takeaway was um, only twenty percent of the people surveyed with chronic with a chronic disease would be willing to wear a a kind of your your Google and your Apple type devices, more generic devices to track the chronic disease. An overwhelming 80% of the population with chronic diseases would prefer a disease-specific wearable. So I think that's a major gap in the in the industry right now where the people with the most resources pushing into the wearable space are the Apple and Googles, but there is a fundamental disconnect between what they see as a vision of how they want to play in healthcare versus the patient that's much more sensitive about an advertising-driven company dealing with healthcare data versus a healthcare company dealing with healthcare data, right? And you're mm-hmm. seeing some of that play out. Um, uh, Danielle, you, you you mentioned you were out of town for two weeks. One of the interesting one of the interesting things that came out the last two weeks was uh, so Google put in an offer for Fitbit, and mm-hmm. one of the ways they're trying to go around antitrust uh, is to have and to pinky swear and scouts honor that they would not use Fitbit data for advertising. Right, that was that was the one linchpin. I, I can't imagine why Google wants to buy Fitbit if not to use the data for advertising. Right. Um, but so that's, it, it kind of reflects that nobody really knows who, we, we're starting to get more and more data. Yep. Now the question is going to be who actually gets to extract the value from it and then who does that value belong to? Well, Brian, that's interesting you say that because today I was on LinkedIn and the, one of the top trending articles was, it, it's, I have it right here in front of me, it's called, Is the Future of Healthcare Wearable? And it's talking about um, Apple's, you know, Apple Watch and how it's being used for um, as a wearable in healthcare. And it's just really interesting to me that you uh, mentioned, you know, the disconnect between these companies, these big non-healthcare companies trying to get into the wearable space, but not really understanding, you know, how to use them or what patients are looking for and who patients trust. Cause I mean, if it's me, I don't, I wouldn't trust Apple and Google with my healthcare information just from, you know, the way, the way they do business. Um, so that's just interesting that you brought that up. Um, well, yeah, I'm, I might add Apple's got a real problem. Our, Google's got a problem right now because of third-party cookies, the advertising business, which doesn't relate to this podcast, but it relates to data and personalization and everything else. Um, third-party cookies are going to be eliminated soon. And so I'm sure Google's looking for new ways to monetize information um, because they're running up against some uh, some privacy issues that are finally being addressed, which should have been addressed a long time ago, but aren't. Yeah. I, th- I think the you point think? really is that um, there is a tremendous opportunity for traditional healthcare players, as well as startups that are looking to leverage data and leverage, you know, much more intimate data and information. And they have the patient's trust. They have kind of the de facto trust because they, they are starting as a healthcare company. Um, and Zymedica absolutely realized that that's kind of what the, what the new wave of, of startups will, will be. And we're actively building up capabilities and resources, as well as building our own internal infrastructure to support, to, to really be able to help these companies, um, you know, break things, move fast, iterate fast, and get these uh, projects out the door. It's a very, it's a fundamentally very different product development life cycle than traditional med tech. 
a, a traditional method, medical technology company would really be hard strung to put together a coherent software product company or software as a product uh, because it, the culture is just so different. Like the timelines are mm -hmm. so different. And the, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's COVID-19 has just pushed all of these things to the very, very, very tippy top uh, along with, you know, diagnostics, the need for diagnostics. I was telling someone the other day that I, I think my dad told me, asked me what a false positive meant on a COVID-19 diagnostics, right? It's like, that's, that's incredible that yeah. my dad with a high school education is asking me, hey, is this test good if it has a 3% false positive rate, right? Because mm -hmm. that's, an, that's an incredible shift mindset in the general, in the general population where they care, they realize that science and these products are not perfect and they're not, you can't really just take everything at face value. Uh, it's, it's incredible. So it, it kind of draws, tying that back to Zymatica, I think we, we have an incredible quality system. Uh, you've seen some of, with, with COVID and the influx of, of medical devices, diagnostic tests and whatnot, we've, we've seen a major uh, downturn in, in the quality of work that's being put out there. Um, it's the, the flexibility that Zymatica brings always maintains that quality as as kind of the the gold standard right mm -hmm. um so yeah it's again I, I think it's just an incredibly incredibly interesting time i don't think there's ever been a more interesting time to be in healthcare and medtech than right now uh mm -hmm. things are moving fast things are changing fast and the again the the nice thing is now there's money in it right the market is responding incredibly incredibly positively to these companies that are able to ride this trend and to build that medical device of the future. Um, you have, I mean, you have companies like Intuitive. Uh, we have companies like Inari that just went public a couple, few weeks ago. You have companies like Livongo that's kind of turning diabetes completely on its head. And the market is responding so positively. That's going to generate more and more interest and more and more resources for these companies to bring new products to the market. So incredibly exciting time. Yeah. Let, let me ask, can I ask, I'm sorry, Daniel, no, go ahead. let me just jump in for a second. I want to go back to the data for a second, because this integrated approach historically has not been involved with data. And are you able to, through your process internally at, at Zymedica and whatnot, someone comes to you and say, here's what we can do. Here's what our product will do X, Y, and Z. And we think it addresses this market. And you look at this product and you get into it and you realize what we're building here. There's a lot more data that we can extract out of this. So are you building this? Can you help them with this integrated approach all the way through that actually says, look, at the end of this thing, at, at the end of our engagement, um, you were thinking there'd be three key points that we'd be able to pull out of this with data. Now we've got 15. Is this something that you can highlight in an example to individuals when they come in um, that they're not looking at it from a holistic standpoint and a completely integrated standpoint that, that you've seen? Yeah, that's such a great question, Tom. I think what I can say is you, we have there, there's really two type of clients, right? One type that is the traditional med tech that has been building widgets for for years and years, and they're looking mm -hmm. at man, everybody is talking about data. How do we, how do we get some of that? And then mm -hmm. you have the other type of clients or other type of company that is a data company. They're a fundamentally data company. And then they're trying to move into the hardware space. 
because mm -hmm. the exciting stuff is what happens in the intersection in the between. Sure. So if we're talking about kind of Zymatica's expertise is really at that intersection uh, where we, we have both sides, we've seen both sides. And where I come in, again, we, we saw this earlier with, with other types of data. The, the beautiful and frustrating thing about MedTech is we're about 10 years behind almost every other industry in terms of the data curve, right? Mm -hmm. So we've kind of seen the story play out where other parts of the industry that AI and machine learning has impacted, investor interests went through the roof at the very beginning. And a lot of the pitches were, we're going to gather a whole lot of data, and then we're going to figure out what to do with it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> that worked great it, from the beginning because we just didn't know, right? We didn't know what the value of the data was. We just knew there was nuggets in there, and we need to find it. As the other industries evolved, there was a very sh sudden shift to where that was no longer going to fly. It was start with a hypothesis. Why do you want to collect this data? What is the value of this data? And then go figure out how you're going to collect it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think the same very similar thing is going to go happen with the medtech, um, where we're still in the phase that more data is always better. And then it will we will reach some critical mass. And at some point, we're going to back off and say, Okay, that's just way too much data than we know how to deal with, and we're we're just overwhelmed by this. So there's an entire industry now; it's just data sorting, right? Um, well, data labeling, data labeling, data exactly, labeling. exactly. Uh, AI is nothing data it. is much much more difficult than getting good data from the beginning. But you can't get mm -hmm. good data if you don't know what you're looking for. Um, mm -hmm. So it it kind of this this catch twenty two cycle. But I think that's where we're going to go with you. You see intuitive, you see the robotic surgery companies saying that they're a data platform, right? We want to pull metrics out of the, the OR um, and into the EHR and into other ways where we can draw insights. But a lot of them don't, they're, they're not starting with what we want to find. We're not there yet, but I think in the next five years, we're going to start seeing a new generation of companies that says, we want to find this because we know there's value in it. And then now we're going to go find the hardware partners to make that happen. So I think uh, in, in terms of Zymatica, we, we've, we've definitely are one of the companies that have done both. We've done the software side as well as the hardware side. And mm -hmm. traditionally, we've been more of a hardware company. But through myself and through the leadership team, uh, we're, we're making a very concentrated effort to build out our not only our personnel, but their infrastructure. So there is a product you can step into so that you don't have to spend all the time building on the back end. You can immediately start testing things, breaking things, see what works, see what doesn't, and iterate very, very quickly. Uh, so it's, again, super exciting. Mm -hmm. So kind of back to some things that COVID has affected. And one of them I want to pick your brain about is payment models. So not only has COVID impacted payment models, but payment models were being impacted before that as well, you know, through like digital therapeutics and kind of new approaches between VC companies and startups. What have you seen and what do you think kind of the future of payment models is looking like? Yeah, it's, it's the most important question, right, in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Is absolutely the most important question. Who's going to who's going to pay for it? Right. Who's going to pay for it? Right. Um, and you know, in 
in medtech, we are also we follow this other industry that's that's pharmaceuticals, right? We're closely related, but not the same. Uh, and pharmaceutical companies for the last 20, 30 years have moved more and more of their research and development dollars into external resources, external, to try to bring the cost down. And the other way to try to bring the cost down is through these contracts uh, called uh, value-based contracts, right? So when you hear, oh, there's a new gene therapy that's a million and a half dollars a dose, or for one set of treatments is a million and a half dollars. A lot of times what that means is the company, uh, the healthcare company, the healthcare insurance or the hospital or the patient will only pay that if the treatment works, right? And it's a little bit easier with, with pharmaceuticals because there's more data behind it. There's less data behind how if, if and when med tech products really work because it's, it's a little bit more convoluted. Um, so it brings us back to value and the value of data. When you have better data, you can value your technology and your solution much, much better. And you have a much more value-driven approach to how you price. And you're, you're able to go to these uh, healthcare, these hospitals and these insurance companies and say, we're willing to do a, a value-based contract. We're willing to do a risk-based because we have the data to support positive outcomes. If you listen to, if you go in and watch uh, Livongo's uh, investor presentations, that's one of the first slides is we have, we have run or they have run, you know, thousands of patients through clinical trials and are able to put a dollar amount on the value of their technology, right? It's very, very, it, whether the math behind it is, is perfectly and everybody agrees with it, separate discussion but they're able to say we if you sign us up with our therapy we're able to take this amount of cost out of your your system this is not this is not hypothetical right this is clinical trial based this is outcome based value so how do we go from diabetes diabetes has been such an incredible driver because it's, it's such an impactful such a disruptive disease that's so prevalent in our in our population that has really been the driver of a lot of new ways of thinking about therapy thinking about value um, it's just incredible I think there was a there was an article just the other day that Medtronic had entered into into another um, value-based care for the insulin pumps that you know, it's, it's both both volume and outcome priced. So no longer do you only buy a, uh, an insulin pump and call it good, is the reimbursement is based on your outcome. So we're, we're certainly moving towards that way. And the one thing that will accelerate that shift and improve healthcare, improve value, improve payments is data, data, data. We'll be right back to Brian after we hear from Eve Vogley again about science fiction and Zymedica. At Zymedica, Innovation, commercialization is at the core of everything we do. While working at Zymedica, I witnessed engineers and project teams working together on a vast array of products. Clients engage our service at all different levels of development, all with the ultimate goal of commercializing their innovations. Our engineering development spans the globe, reaching end users and making a remarkable difference in life as we know it. Powerful, streamlined, 
and the ultimate step to reach those that need the product that we have developed. What is so powerful and inspiring about this process is what we do is new, novel, and has never been done before. We have produced over 700 patents for our customers. I'm Eve Vogley, and I'm proud to be a part of such an innovative team that's enabling the advancement of healthcare and making science fiction a reality in the medical space. You know, there's a lot of people that don't know what they have. And I, that's a, it's a simple thing because as you probably well know, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence, data labeling is very important to teach machines what they're looking for. And a lot of companies are actually providing data to third parties who then look at the data and massage it and then sell the, actually sell them back the value data at the end of it. And have you seen any of that in, in, in the med tech space? I know the insurance space. Now, insurance is a very calcified business, very slow-moving business, prop, you know, property and casualty insurance. But they're actually doing this. They're unable to see the value of their data on the internals. They have to go externally. Yeah, I think we've seen, I mean, again, extrapolating from other industries, right, where mm -hmm. other industries like IT security, like sec data security threats, um, you you have entire companies whose only who only exist to analyze other companies' data. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think healthcare has some interesting obstacles in term, around privacy um, because sure. with with HIPAA, you you do have to depersonalize a lot of the information before you can it can leave your system, or even a lot sometimes is you know de-identified before it even enters your system. So and the EMR companies aren't really interested in sharing oftentimes. Exactly, exactly. Um, so it will be interesting to see how this, I think this is one of the more gray areas of, of where healthcare data will go. And whoever can figure it out is, is certainly going to be uh, a company to watch. I'd like to ask you a little bit about the clinical side of the industries and really other than COVID, what are some of the other arenas that are in focus? I know um, for this year, just from working with Symedica, women's health is something that you guys have been focusing on, you know, a big topic in the industry right now. Um, what are some other spaces you've seen people, you know, focusing on? I think, I think diagnostics. Um, diagnostics has always been in the background uh, has always been a key into healthcare, right? Uh, you don't know what you don't know. And now the world has kind of seen that diagnostics is not that simple. Um, we, we've had some kind of infamous examples in the past where, where companies uh, maybe oversimplify the difficulty of, of testing. And, you know, but the industry through this, through COVID, has been brought back into the into this into the, the light where we understand that comorbidity of COVID is incredibly important and is not only understanding whether you you've been uh, infected with COVID but you know whether how, how your your risk stratification based on your comorbidities so that's that's one side of it I think the other side of it is just the availability of testing. Has has completely changed with COVID, right? Um, it's we're we're talking about reimagining air travel. We're talking about reimagining, you know, Disneyland. Disney World just opened. Schools, like, schools right. is opening, right? Yep. Short of, I mean, today we we 
we had some positive news of the uh, mRNA vaccine that's coming out of Moderna. Um, but short of a vaccine, short of a long-term effective vaccine, testing is the best thing we got, right? Testing is the best thing we got, and we got to, it's got to be testing the asymptotic patients. It's not just testing the people that are sick. Um, so I, I think the third piece of it is the quality, because we, we've seen the FDA, they kind of open the floodgates in terms of letting in companies with diagnostics very, very, very quickly. I think at some point there was 200 companies that offered some sort of COVID-19 test. I think within the last month, we've seen issues, we've seen quality problems. And how do you trust the tests? Can you trust the tests? I, I say my test says negative, your test says positive. Who do we trust, right? Mm -hmm. So there, I think there is going to be an incredible push towards standardizing and understanding what ha having that trust quality um, within diagnostics. So I think we, we have uh, we have a number of very capable diagnostics folks on our team. And, and I'm, I, I think they're, they're teed up here in the next next couple of weeks to, to speak more about that. But we published a white paper a um, few weeks into into COVID just kind of looking at what we thought the future of, of diagnostics would be given what's happened with COVID. And it's, it's moved so many technologies forward mm -hmm. that it's going to be really interesting to see what sticks. And, mm -hmm. and then we have to apply that uh, trust kind of criteria to, to, to the new tests. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I think that was that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was the last one we do talk about is like digital therapeutics. We've talked about it a lot in a past podcasts and just in a lot of the work we do because it is so up and coming. And I know Zymedica has the capability, you know, um, in in digital therapeutics and digital health. But I don't know if you have anything to add no, to not, it. I, I, um, it is not particularly relevant to. I mean, it's I'm I'm a big fan of Livongo. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's. Uh, that's that's kind of where it's it's a scalability problem, right? It's mm -hmm. yep. you, you can it's a scalability and understand the human components of that problem. Mm -hmm. um, I think traditional med tech again, it's those are all pieces of the puzzle that a traditional med tech company will have a very difficult time pushing into. Mm -hmm. Livongo's business model is not new. Right. There has been multiple, multiple large pharmaceutical companies with insulin type products that have tried to do, that have bought startups, that have bought assets to do what Livongo is doing. They've all been less successful than Livongo, right? Mm -hmm. um, because we, we talk about, I mean, again, drawing parallels to other industries digital natives, right? The idea of being a digital native <laughs> is is something that no one really believes until you you bang your head against the wall. It's like, why I can't I do this? Right? Mm -hmm. So many industries, so many traditional brick and mortars have looked at digital and said, it's just a website. Right, I can build right. a website. <laughs> right? Yeah. I can list off 10 pages of companies that have looked at digital and said, I can do that. It's, it's just a website. Um, there, there's tremendous amount of, there's, there's many, many examples of that. But I think if we look at the shift to digital 
the shift to digital therapeutics and the shift to understanding the human psyche components, the human like uh, of of therapy, it's it's a new model. It's is I think it's you need outside expertise. You need an outside force if you're a traditional med tech, right? To to push you in that direction. And again, to bring it all back is to understand what is the value of that. What what part of the market are you not capturing by believing that digital therapeutics and the human component of it is less valuable than the medical device component of it? What if it was the other way around? What are you? What is the potential of the market you're missing out? How do you value that? And then back it into: Is it worth spending money on that project to build to capture that market? Um, I, I think I think that's where Zymatic is really really strong, and that's why I think I have the best job in the company is because I get to make that connection. I get to help our clients make that connection, whether you are you know twenty billion dollar in revenue or negative many many dollars in in profit um, because you're a startup. You you ha- your your idea of a the best product for you is different, and mm-hmm. we are here to help you and to align with you and not to oversell you, to make sure that you are building the exact right amount of product and doing the exact right amount of development to capture the market that's most valuable to you. And, and I think it's, it's, a, it's an incredibly interesting exercise that, that I get to be a part of every day. Do you think that's a differentiator from people you can, from companies that you compete with? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, how many times have you have you called a, a plumber or electrician, and they ask you, "Well, what do you where do you see your house in ten years?" Right, right. <laughs> they they don't. They right. they do the thing that is most profitable for them, right? Right. But I think as as we see med tech changing faster and faster and faster, mm-hmm. that doesn't fit anymore. Mm-hmm. Your widget versus X widget versus Y widget versus Z widget. Is actually going to be three very different widgets. Whereas ten years ago, they might all arrive at the same widget, and given the same set of assumptions. Now all the assumptions have gone out the window. The path forward is less clear. So you need to be more forward. You need to be more bold to make that prediction, to understand the opportunity, and then to back down into a product development uh, scope of work. So there's a lot of talk, I guess, about adoptability and user-centered design, which user-centered design is a big focus um, while, you know, product designing at Cymatica. How should companies old and new be thinking about that? I think some of the most interesting companies that's come up in the last 10 years, you could, you can make a valid argument that they had, they did not necessarily have the best technology but they were the most patient-focused. They were the most user-focused. Whether they realized it at the time or not, they won because they put a more... They, they were no longer... This is, this, this is going to sound... There were no longer engineers and doctors clobbering a couple of things together and saying, this solves my problem, right? They were looking at it from a system standpoint. They were looking from an integrated... From from the nurses to the ORs to the doctors to the uh, you know to the uh, what's that called um, sterilization process where 
this it makes it easy to use and you can point to the rise of robotics you can point to the rise of cgm you can point to devices that really have no reason for them to be so successful given that they do kind of the same thing as all the other devices but they stand out triple digit growth massive market valuations it's because they understood the patient better they understood the problem better they understood the patient better and they understood the doctors better right especially in the case of robotics um so I, I think it's it is a is still a, a a rich rich area to tap into. We can there's a lot of things we can look back into and say why are we doing it this way? Is it just because we've always done it this way? And that's the areas for disruption, right? And again, it comes back to value. Is it worth disrupting? Right. Exactly. Is it worth the risk for you to go out and disrupt this market? And and when that answer is yes, I, I think. Uh, starting from a usability and starting from a patient-centric viewpoint, it's a tremendous, tremendous disruptor for the established companies. Because again, they, they have, they're much more entrenched in the way they do things. And they're much more, they have much more to lose. Mm -hmm. And they're risk averse. And they're risk averse because they have to be, right? They're protecting, right? They're, they're protecting a kingdom Yep. It's not. It, it's just a natural business cycle that you go from aggressive to defensive over as you become more and more successful. Mm -hmm. Right, and that's really where a company like Zymatica again. That you know, when you need somebody to challenge you, when you need change, when you need, when you see the field, when you when you can see the field changing in front of you, but you don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. That's where a partner comes in. That's where somebody that's not going to say yes to everything that you, you suggest. We're, we're going to challenge. We're going to think it through with you. We're going to align the why, why, why before you figure out the what and the how. And oftentimes, you know, various consulting companies come in and like a McKinsey, come in and give you a bill for a million dollars, start off the bat. And they'll say, here, you know, they get to their ultimate goal, which is several tens of millions of dollars and they turn around and give you a um, a solution but there's no way to it, there's no way to implement it here here's what to do here's here's what to build here's where we think the market's going thanks go by go find someone else yep no we are, we the, the, it's a beautiful again i have the best job because i get to learn from everybody in the company whether you are we're, we're talking supply chain we're talking about user-centric design we're talking yeah. about um, you know, regulatory approval. We're talking about electrical. We're talking about engineering. We talk about software, and we're talking about ma uh, market value and market landscape and competitive landscape and differentiation. And it's it's bringing all of that together under one roof is uh, I, it's 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 an it's a value that is is difficult to price. Even though we've talked about pricing a lot today. Well, I would say also it's for a startup or anyone say from a, you know, they're in a series A or something as they move forward, what you bring to the table um, is going to enhance the evaluation going forward when they go for series B or series C down the road. Absolutely. Because that, that market vision is something that a lot of entrepreneurs don't have. And the deep, and the deep look across the whole integrated stream is, is very difficult for some people to see, but it has a lot of value going forward. They can walk into another VC for a series C round, or you know, they're looking for to be brought up by a pri private equity firm, and they have actual 
They have a narrative about the future. Yeah, I mean, coming from having spent a good chunk of my life in a startup, you know, it's it's true that you just get you you're so excited about your own work, and you believe right. in your work so much that it's it's not almost impossible. It is impossible to step away and look at the bigger picture, um, because all you want to do is solve that next problem that will get your product to work. That will get your technology beyond that feasibility, beyond that lab. But there's always more problems. There's always, always more problems, and you need there. There is so much value in someone that comes in and says, "Let's take a step back. Let's take a couple、mm-hmm. days away from solving your urgent problems." I, I saw somewhere that you know there's only two types of problems. There's a solving. There's the urgent problems, and there's the real problems, right? We always solve the urgent problems. The urgent problems are never real, and the real problems are never urgent.、Um, so, it's it's really difficult when you're when you're that deep into a technology, that deep into a startup, to to come back and say, "What else is there? How do I build that conviction for investors?" That、mm-hmm. because they know that we know that everyone knows at some point you're going to pivot. Is your ability to pivot? What you're building today, can you pivot into one of four things, one of five things, and still be successful? Is it fundamentally a valuable technology? It's not just that one product, right?、Mm. So, to be able to step back and honestly, great IP lawyers will also help you do this. Great IP lawyers are are tremendously important to help because they also bring this incredible scope of what else is out there, right?、Um, But as Zymedica, we bring both the scope and the technical depth to say to help you understand the landscape, to help you understand your competitors, and to help you understand your valuation and where you should play.、Um, and being a startup, everything is tight. Everything is tight. Everything. There's never enough time. There's never enough money. But this is something that, having gone through that process, make time. Make time to step away every year. Step away, every six months. Step away and say, "Are we still going down the right path? What has changed?"、Um, it's it's an incredibly valuable exercise, and and I think we, the work that we do as Amerika, a, a lot of times when we do proposals, we ask ourselves all of those same questions when we're building proposals out for our clients.、Um, so. I would encourage all of you listening to to reach out your startup、uh, in the space. <laughs>、uh, we it's leverage our experience.、Uh, it's we have a great team. <laughs> well, that's great. I was my my next question was going to be: We usually ask all our guests, you know, for your top top tips for entrepreneurs from an entrepreneur like yourself and a business analyst. And I think <laughs> you already spoke to the, the first one: is you know, take a step back or find someone and partner someone that can you know look at look at your startup from the outside. And make sure you know you're you're reaching those goals or seeing if there's more opportunities for you than you really what you're looking at. Do you have any other tips that you'd like to share? Sorry, everything I can think of right now is like facetious. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the hardest thing and one of the reasons you know I when I when my startup went down. Um. It would have been fairly easy to to jump right back into either a big company or another startup, but that the the itching the itch I had in the back of my neck was to say, 
I don't understand this. I don't understand their mentality. I don't understand an investor mentality. Um, if you remember, around that time, uh, there was a startup called Juicero that was raising tens, if not hundreds of million, millions of dollars. Way too much money. Way too much, Way money. Too much money. And and so I was, I was, we were, we were struggling through our fundraise, and we we looked at these headlines, and I just, I couldn't understand it. So what I would encourage you and or what I encourage startups is to to sit on just as much as you can. It's a really difficult exercise. It's easy to say, it's really easy to do, is put yourself in the investor's shoe. That what why is it interesting? It's it should be very simple to explain. And is it should be very, very simple to explain why it's interesting. And how it's like why is interesting and how interesting is it? Both of those answers should be very. Um, if you have things to start explain it, you're you're getting further and further away from a clear value proposition. Um, yeah, so I, I would say tr try to say if you were if you were asking for a ten million dollar round, ask yourself would you invest your own ten million dollars into this company? Right. What would it take for you to write of your future? If you took, if you had a chance to take all your future earnings and all your child children's future earnings, and put it into a bank account, and in, into this company, would you do it? What would convince yourself to do that? And I think you're you're starting to get to the point what what the investor mindset is is trying to get to. That's that's great, Brian. Well, thank you very much. Um, Tom, I just want to ask, do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No, I just want to ask, as a technologist, what are the coolest things that you don't have to sort of shoot me after, instead of telling me? Or, you know, what are the coolest things I'm is working on right now that you can tell me? About, uh, that you can I tell don't have to about? shoot you, but I think other people would shoot you. <laughs> I, I have people for that. I, I don't have to do it Little, anymore. A lot of NDAs in place. <laughs> a lot of NDAs in place. I, I think that's... It's, it's the beauty of Zymedica is we only work on, we, we work on projects that is meaningful to our clients and that is difficult within their, um, within their organizations, right? Um, a lot of med tech we talked about, there are more traditional med techs. And so as they try to venture out, um, you do need external forces. And these are, these are game changing, business changing technologies for our clients. Um, so uh, data privacy we talked about, but within Zymatica, that's also very, it's, it's, a, it's a strength, absolute strength that even though we mm -hmm. work on many projects, uh, I, think, I think the stat is somewhere between 40 to 60 at a time, that they are complete, like we have, we have strong firewalls built in place. So that, that uh, was one of my future nosy, questions. Nosy, nosy Toms. Don't ask. Nosy don't, Toms. Don't, 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 don't find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, thank you. As someone who's been involved in a lot of information technology, I appreciate and um, a lot of NDAs in my life. I certainly appreciate that. Awesome. And if you um, I'm going to invite everyone, if you want to connect with Brian, you know, continue this conversation or learn more, more about Zymedica, you can find him on LinkedIn uh, under Brian Wong, right? Uh, I believe so. All right. And then you can also go on Zymedica's website, which is www.ximedica.com. Awesome. Thank you very much, Brian. 
Thank you, Brian. Thanks, guys. This was fun. Thanks for listening. This podcast was co-produced by Danielle Sturm of the New England Medical Innovation Center and Tom Chiginski of myvoiceteam.com. Audio engineered by Tom Chiginski of myvoiceteam.com.